We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast. I am your host, Sasha Kapustina, and here I talk to immigrants who are kicking ass in the U.S. Thank you for tuning in. My guest this week is Dean Zulich. Dean is a rock star photographer. Among his clients are Nike, United Nations, Playboy, and ESPN, and many others. His work has appeared in Vogue, in the New York Times, Boston Globe, and many other publications. He has traveled the world taking pictures and teaching photography. Dean is Bosnian, and he was born and raised in Yugoslavia. So here's a quick refresher. Yugoslavia is a country that no longer exists. It was formed after World War I and existed until the end of the 1980s. After World War II, the country boldly distanced itself from both the Eastern Bloc and the NATO and started the non-alignment movement. It reached its prime under Josip Tito, a dictator who managed to keep all the different Yugoslav ethnic and religious groups together. And in the 50s and 60s, Yugoslavian economy grew and was considered one of the economic miracles. But after the 70s oil price drop and the recession that followed, things were not going as great. Ethnic tensions started growing and it all blew up soon after the death of the dictator Tito. A decade of wars, genocides, NATO bombings, and Russian peacekeeping operations followed. And then the controversial UN International Criminal Tribunal. But now the Balkans are at peace. There are seven countries on the territory of former Yugoslavia. Fun fact for Game of Thrones fans, the King's Landing was filmed in Dubrovnik in Croatia. Check out the pictures. It's fascinating. Okay, I think it should be enough context, and here's my conversation with Dean. So, my usual first questions are, when did you come here and where did you come here from? I came to the United States in the fall of 1995, and I came from Sarajevo, which was Yugoslavia at that time, which will become independent country of Bosnia and Herzegovina. And so did you grow up in Yugoslavia then? That is correct. I grew up in former Yugoslavia that uh, started falling apart in the early 90s. And uh, in 1995, it was basically Yugoslavia ceased to exist. Um, it fell apart and th there were some new countries formed such as Croatia, Slovenia, Bosnia. I kind of relate to that as, as in I was born in a country that no longer exists. I was born in USSR. I was younger, so I don't really remember those years of the empire falling apart. And I also don't remember the last years of the empire. But you grew up in Yugoslavia under Tito. Uh, what was life like? Well, that is correct. Uh, even now, you know, many years later, I'm 47 right now, and I left my former country in the early 20s. Um, when I compare it, you know, it's it's such a tough call to compare, you know, the capitalism and communism and socialism because um, 
I personally had a good life. You know, my parents would were able to take a month off to have a you know summer vacation every year, and then um, life was a lot more casual with a lot less pressure than in the Western world. I feel, though, I'm sure we didn't have the market that you know from shopping to you know we were looking at the Western world as like you know Nikes and Jordans and that type of thing. So um, it's really such, it's such a great question that you asked that that you know I, I can probably go on forever, but uh, overall. Life was good. It was a lot, lo- lot more simple than it is right now, for sure. So overall, it was good, but dictatorships are known for suppressing the free speech and all those things. Like, did you feel any of that growing up? Well, um, calling you know Tito a dictator is that's that's a tough call because you know you would granted he was president that got elected after World War Two and. There was no more elections after until he died in 1980. So, you know, that there's your argument. However, people were allowed to practice Islam in my hometown of Sarajevo. People had religious freedoms. Tito did some, something really clever, which is he didn't align with NATO, with the Western bloc, nor with the Eastern. And we actually had a big problem in 50s, former Yugoslavia had with, with Soviet Union because Tito said no to Stalin, right? He said mm-hmm. no to become part of the Eastern Bloc. And then he joined uh, the African presidents in forming non-aligned movement, mm-hmm. which actually made Yugoslavian passport was one of the best passports in the world because we literally didn't need visa for anything. Mm-hmm. Tito was one of these guys that you will see him in a picture with, with Saddam Hussein, with Ceausescu, with you know Reagan or whoever was American president. That, that, that guy was incredibly intelligent and he had ability to control the country of people that were put together, put to live together by a blunder. We also had this army that was one of the top European army because everybody was potential soldiers. So that country was not your, like people from Eastern Europe would go to come to vacation and to seaside and to buy things like those countries were looking up to us. So it wasn't your like typical oppression, you know, like I, 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 feel that China is probably one of the biggest oppressions in the world, but China does get shit done. China is like makes high speed trains all over the world where, you know, you look at the US can't make one single high speed train in, in the country. So, you know, yep. oppression, oppression always beats chaos in a war. You know, that's what Daniel Schmetterberger said, the guy that I listen to a lot. Um, hmm. I am really interested in that you know, not necessarily comparison, but finding optimal balance. Obviously, I hate oppression of humans and I do not support, uh, you know, concentration camps and I do not support uh, killing off political opposition. And obviously, there is beauty to democracy. But then there has to be some kind of balance because when we see people considering it their freedom, for example, not to wear a mask and not to care about the rest of the community. And they believe that it's oppression when they're asked to wear a mask. That's where it's like, hey, we're living in a society and let's think more communally. But there isn't balance of that here in the U.S. Absolutely. That's that's why I mentioned that, you know, oppression and chaos uh, West is definitely, when you look at it, it seems like it's almost still heading to chaos because they, the vaccine is out, but we don't quite have 
COVID nearly under control, but look at China. They handle COVID like champs. They literally has, they have less cases than my country, homeland of Bosnia. There's right now the hotspot of Europe. Like mm. they have less cases overall. And it's true. They're not suppressing. How do I know? I have photographer friends in China. I don't, I don't follow mainstream media. I don't listen to what they feed me, the propaganda. I literally talk to people on the ground. That's how I get my news from all over the world. China, mm -hmm. basically, did they oppress people when they locked them in the buildings? Absolutely. But guess what? After a month, everybody was back on the streets. They're going out. The economy is taking over. They're being, they killed the far least amount of people that literally, I don't even know what's the number, but I know it's less than my homeland that has literally 3 million people. So there's a fine line between oppression and obeying the rules. Nobody even thinks, like mm -hmm. when government says, wear a mask, there is no like freedom individualism. You wear a fucking mask. <laughs> Sorry for yep. dropping the F one, but like, <laughs> guess what? They handled it. They, they are technologically far advanced when you compare to the US. You literally, I don't know how much you know about how it works in China. You basically have a health app that has either yellow, green or green or red. If it's yellow, that means you might have been in contact with somebody. That means you can't get into the, any public place in a public transportation. If it's red, you immediately go to isolation. And their contact tracing is amazing. And is that interference of a freedom? I mean, yeah. you, you don't think CIA is not watching you there? You don't think everything you do on social media is not recorded? That That's ludicrous to believe that. So exactly. at least in China, you know, they tell you that they're you're watched 24-7 and there is a result to it, like very, very minor. Again, I'm not a fan of child labor. I'm not a fan of, fan of many oppressions in China, but I'm just saying that being organized and acting as one definitely solves major problems. Like they solve the problem of pandemic while being able to take over global economy and suffer by far the least consequences of this pandemic. Right. Well, one of the things that came up in my recent conversations, and I had a guest who's a UCLA professor, Dr. Otto Yang, we talked about COVID, and he is, uh, his family is from Taiwan, and he, um, his brother is in healthcare over there, and they, their numbers, their COVID numbers are in low double digits. So they had like a dozen cases, like not even, not even a hundred I know. In the entire country of Taiwan. And they're not a dictatorship. They're not a totalitarian regime. And But he did assign most of that success to contact tracing, which in the U.S. I followed up with doing a little uh, question, uh, asking a question on Twitter uh, and asking people, would you sign up for an app to for contact tracing if that meant no shutdowns? And only 35% of people were willing to sign up for that app. I cannot, I, I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised at all. And, and I feel that the Western world in comparison to Eastern, I, I feel that people live in a fake sense of freedom because how are you free to quit your job? You're not. How are you free to just leave, travel the world for a month? How are you free not to pay taxes for a month? How are you, I feel that, it's just illusion of freedom because of the capitalism for right now, Western world provides more money than the Eastern world, but that's coming the way the money is being printed. I don't see it personally going anywhere good, but I, I feel that's just an illusion of freedom. Not only that, uh, there's a great thing I recently heard that regardless how capitalism, for instance, for my career, it worked really well. It gave me opportunities to travel the world, to shoot best of the best and to get paid really, really good money to do something that I love. So I don't think that would have happened, let's say in former Yugoslavia or you know, to the extent it did to me. So I have to be grateful and I am. 
That being said, a lot of my friends are losing their fucking minds. People around me, I see that both their physical and mental health has deteriorated because of the pressure that capitalism enforced by built, especially, you know, Southern California, for instance, like it's expensive there, man. And not only there, anywhere, New York, you name it. Imagine people with families, imagine people that have pressure of huge bills to pay and that constant fear of losing job. I mean, that's literally like mental disease is a cause of stress. Like, like I think every other person have some kind of idea, either on antidepressants or anti-anxiety or, or they have like, you know, I, I, that's, I see it as one of the rare, one of the things that you can contribute that to the constant pressure of keeping up, you know, with Joneses or whatever, you know, surviving in that system. Yeah. I came here similar as you in my 20s and I had worked in Russia before I uh, came and joined the workforce here. I was just baffled by how little protections uh, workers have here. And people don't know that it can be different. That's the thing. And I think one of those things that immigrants can bring, and you know, going back to the idea of balance, is those perspectives on what is and what isn't normal. And I think it is okay to demand and to work towards making things better. 100%. I, I, I'm trying, again, I, I feel... As always in life, the middle is the key. The balance is the key. You know, not everything in the U.S. is great. Not everything in Balkans or former Soviet Union or whatever. But I think we can all share our experiences and bring to the table what we've been through and then be objective and say, okay, well, this is a great part of this system that gives you freedom, creativity, ability to become an entrepreneur, to make money, not to be oppressed or suppressed, but also that you have basic human rights which people in 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 a, in a Western capitalist system, in particular in the U.S., you don't you don't have healthcare provided. You don't have an option for healthcare. I mean, now with Obamacare, things got a little bit better, but then healthcare and education should be basic human rights, which would definitely, yeah. probably would I would think affect systemic racism. That people of all races would have opportunity to get the same quality of education. Whereas now, you know, I'm sure you have friends that live in a really nice neighborhoods. They're houses are super expensive but then there's amazing public school there so they move there and they yeah. can afford because that public school where they live before public school is a hood right so yeah it, and it, it all comes down to money and um we as humans should not like it should never come down to only money is we make and we spend money we need to survive but a quality of life and opportunity for everybody i think should not be based on you know neighborhood you live in yeah but it is right now in the u.s for sure I do want to go back a little bit to the collapse of the empire. So you were living with your family in Sarajevo and uh, you were a teenager and you were about to graduate school, right? Correct. I was just about to graduate out of a high school and then the unthinkable happened. You know, the fall of Yugoslavia was very abrupt and sudden and it caught a lot of people by surprise, me being one of them in my family. But I decided to stay and we decided to stay in the city under the siege and I joined the army. So in early 92, in the war broke out in April. I joined the army as 18-year-old. That was pretty crazy. Like, yeah, you're shooting at me. I'm going to shoot back at you without really any training whatsoever. So I got a training on a job. So I spent the first couple of years in the war in the army and then um, between the different units. And then last year of the war, I joined this NGO from Ireland where, because I spoke English, I was able to get in as an interpreter. And um, 
I was able to get work as a logistics manager and um, first as interpreter, but I moved up really quickly. So this agency from Ireland was actually providing humanitarian aid and money and medical equipment and food to people most at risk, such as refugees, children, widows, and uh, just people overall at risk in Bosnia. Mm -hmm. So it was it was really amazing. It was rewarding, one of the most rewarding jobs and parts of my life being able to help people in the middle of a war, people at risk. So that was the you know the the last part of the war. That's well, but you skipped skipped a few things there with uh, with your experience at war. I know. I mean, as you said, like it is unthinkable and it is unimaginable that something like that happens. What was that experience for you being a kid in the war? Well, I, I feel it was a valuable experience for many reasons. You, ba I basically went into survival mode basically at the age of 18. And even moving to, to the U.S., I kind of always stayed in that survival mode. Um, let's, let's, let's rewind. So basically the war starts and you end up in this, you know, military unit and um, you replace, you know, I was supposed to start going to university. I was supposed to have time of my life. I really enjoy playing basketball and I love music and going out and, you know, having some fun and all that got replaced by a rifle, basically. And we lived under the siege. Sarajevo was under the siege for three years without water and power and food for the most part. So we were getting humanitarian aid from the UN. And um, it was primal. It was very, it was very basic survival circumstances. Like you just live and you're happy if you wake up next day. So everything is really enhanced. Even your relationship is this time. You know, I had a girlfriend at a time and it was like, everything was so much more powerful. Mm. But, uh, you know, life, human life was really cheap because one day somebody's there and tomorrow they're not. Like people from my building, people from my unit. Oh, who got this guy got killed today? Uh, this guy got hit by a sniper, you know, blown by by a mortar. So you just get used to it. It's it's what's really insane how human can get used to anything. Like you can literally like, you know, like I can go and thank God, you know, I can sleep in five stars, but I, I also enjoy sleeping under stars. Like I don't for me, it's not that big of a deal either. You know, obviously, I I don't mind, you know, like nice places and nice things, but I'm not materialistic by any means. And I'm okay in the jungle, you know, whatever. So it, it, this that experience really teaches you what really matters, you know, that a lot of people that had their houses and cars just blown up, you know, everything you worked for. But then again, if you're survived, then you can build that again. But if you don't survive, obviously, that's it. That's end of this life on this planet or this story. So... And um, you yourself you were in a few situations where you didn't think you were going to survive. We were severely outnumbered and outgunned. And, you know, I, I feel if, if, if Serbs know who was, you know, just a couple of us 18-year-old kids with rifles and 10 bullets, basically, on the other side, they probably would have taken over that, you know, we, we, they could have br br broke into the city and, and possibly, you know, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? But hey, we stayed and we fought back. And um, yeah, more than once I was in a situation where I simply thought that there was no way I'm getting out of that life. Me and my friend that I actually saw fairly recently when I visited Bosnia, um, we were like always together whenever, you know, we were hanging out, partying and fighting together, like in, in the same unit. And uh, we were just basically in this house that is on the front line in the south part of Sarajevo that, and you know, the Serbs were coming in with tanks. And so basically all that is remained of the house is a couple of the walls on the ground floor and then the basement. So the way we make our positions are in the basement. We get a few bricks out, put our rifles through, 
So let's say if you're in a corner, you get a couple of bricks in each direction out. That's what you look through. You know, you shoot if, if there is a, if there is infantry coming. Mm-hmm. And so we're basically in this one little room. And then it's basically we dug in a couple of benches and there's like a soil underneath. And uh, they're like when they're bombing our positions, there was they do it like really, really uh, with care. They literally throw either either from tanks or cannons or whatever. If they're throwing mortars, they literally throw, they just go like five by five meters, if maybe 10. But, you know, each one, they, they fire one grenade, explodes, and then next one goes only five to 10 meters. The next one. So basically, they're just making sure nothing stays alive there. That's now. like very tight. Like they're just bombing it out. And, and like everything is like literally falling apart around us. And we're like under, we're not even looking through those holes because, you know, when there's bombing, there's no infantry out there. Like nobody's attacking right now. They're just trying to flatten this and then the infantry is coming. So we're kind of under this bench. Like I'm literally digging with my hands. I try, I kind of try, I'm trying to be earth at that point, you know? So, uh, and we know, you know, the bombs are coming closer and closer, explosions. And we know next one is coming to our house. Plus they're probably looking, normally they're looking with the binoculars. They're, they're kind of seeing, you know, the, the, whoever is the guy that makes sure they're hitting the target. So. And one of those mortars just, you know, I know it's our turn and it lands on us and it doesn't, because you can hear from the position when it fires, you can mm-hmm. hear like a little boom and then go and then just like everything falls apart. You can hear bricks and pieces of, of, of building actually falling and you can, you can hear shrapnels spinning because your hearing is so like you're in this like crazy, crazy stage of primal. I don't even know what is it. So. Um, this one doesn't explode. I'm like, holy shit. So, but I know that they all know that too. So I'm like, holy shit. Now they're going to send the same one. They're going to send another one and probably both of them will explode and probably will bury me and this guy alive. You know, it's, it's on top of us. It can't come into our room, but it's, if it explodes up there, it's going to literally bury us alive. So the second one comes in and that one doesn't explode even, which is like, it's one of those things where I wouldn't believe it if it didn't happen to me. And, you know, there was somebody with me that remembers it too. And um, I guess it just wasn't my time. You know, it wasn't our time, mine and his time to go. And uh, the next one exploded to the, on the house next to us and literally made, made the dust out of it. And then they kept going and kept going. And uh, yeah, yeah, pretty fucking That's crazy. crazy. So, yeah, that was That's one crazy. of the stories. That was in 93. That was uh, in March. In Mar- Holy shit. Wow. This oops. Yeah, March 93. So, yeah, we have an 18-year anniversary of me not getting buried alive. Wow. Well, congratulations. <laughs> An- anniversary. Happy 18th birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy 18th birthday. You're, you're almost an uh, adult again. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's such crazy. Uh, that's such a crazy experience. I cannot even imagine. I feel like, um, he, especially in the West... Uh, the relationship with death and the relationship with near-death experiences are so undervalued. And I think that from my personal experiences uh, as a young person being around uh, death, I feel there's they teach you so much. I feel that you have such confidence about everything that you do. I don't know. Is that Do you think that has to do with surviving I would say yes, and I think I'm going to transfer, translate that to my career a little bit, which is clients love that. 
and I've been literally in the situation where I'm shooting in, you know, really high and shoot with a lot of money on the line. And then the desert storm rolls in in the middle of this golf course in Southern Arizona, you know, like whatever, it's 60 miles an hour. <laughs> Models are crying and whatever. I'm like, no, we got this. Like, just hide. You'll be okay. Just a little bit of wind. I got this. And clients love the confidence that things will be okay because they put a lot of money and you're the only person that knows how that photo will look like, you know, from like stepping in the aunt's nest in the middle of like some stream over in Kenya, you know, like I, a lot of things happen to me The most, you know, a lot of people will probably freak out and trip and whatever, but I'm like, trust me, it can always get worse. You know, it can <laughs> literally always get a lot worse. So this is nothing. It's just job, man. It's just work. You know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's what you do. And, um, I, you know, it's a joke, you know, the running joke for us that survived the war back home, like, it's all good as long as long as they're not shooting, you know. So when pandemic starts, it's like, you know, hey man, you have water, you have food, and you have internet, and nobody's shooting at you. What's wrong with you people? There's, this pandemic is cool, man. <laughs> like everybody got a break to chill out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I was yeah. like, as long as long as they're not shooting at you, you're great. <laughs> yeah. Going back to your story, when and how did you get the idea to come to the U.S.? There was a gentleman, actually, rest in peace. He passed this year, Bob. Heiner over in Michigan, an amazing gentleman who was also a benefactor to this Irish agency. Um, mm -hmm. And I came to visit him in 95 in Michigan. And then my ex-girlfriend at the time also got a papers to finish her school. I got a visa to finish school over in Seattle. And, you know, we were young and in love. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm going to go over to Seattle. I just want to be with her. And um, I applied for a political asylum. And uh, mm. but like, then another thing happens. You know, the Dayton, Ohio agreement, peace agreement gets signed in November and um, my asylum case got denied. I was basically kind of caught in limbo because I, you know, I wanted to stay. I didn't want to go back. And then, you know, the girlfriend moved back. I was like, you know, I really enjoyed U.S. I like the opportunities and I wasn't feeling like going to back to the country. There was still very much in distress. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I submitted my rebuttal and... Um, I just decided to stay in the U.S. and try my best to legally stay. And um, mm -hmm. during the, that time, my rebuttal also got denied. And I was just kind of on my way. I was like, you know what? Hey, I tried. I'm just going to go ahead and just go back. And if this country doesn't want me, you know, maybe I'll go back to Bosnia or live in Croatia where I have family and whatever. And uh, so I just met a, met a girl that we started talking. We got really interested in each other. I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm kind of getting... You know, I have this time to stay in the country, but I have to leave by this date. And we just basically started dating immediately. We kind of liked each other. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. since that night, we were together every day for uh, for years. Um, mm. All you need is love. Basically, yeah. We hit it off really well. <laughs> we did this epic road trip to Vegas where her family is. And um, we got married there. And uh, I got out of my deportation proceedings. I got my paper. We are still, we are not married anymore, but we, we have a ton of respect for each other. And, as a matter of fact, we're in contact. She just, uh, she's one of my favorite writers. So I, I'm just writing a blog for one of my sponsor companies. And uh, she, she's the one that does the proofreading. And uh, so I literally talked to her yesterday. And she, you know, I guess she will always be my editor slash proofreader slash whatever. So yeah, I'm very, very grateful, you know. It's great to have those uh, relationships. Absolutely. That support you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Regardless that it didn't work know forever and ever on a romantic level we we are definitely great friends you know nothing but respect and love that's beautiful so 
When you came to the U.S., obviously the first intention was just to be away from the war and be safe and have normal life. And then after some time, like, was there a dream? What did you want to be when you grow up? Well, I kind of wanted to be a pilot, I guess, out of all, all things as a kid or play mm -hmm. basketball or one of those things. And then I ended up going to this high school, our high school. My high school was pretty kind of um, tough one to get into because it was high school for math, computers and physics that you had to pass the exam to get into. Like you can't just go in. So entire country would come or, you know, Republic of Bosnia would come and then maybe 200 people out of 1,000 would get accepted. So after attending that school, normally you go to either become electro engineer, electrical engineer or mechanical engineer or something like that. But I guess it wasn't meant to be because the war had a different, <laughs> different story for me. Um, mm -hmm. Different journey was selected. So um, I uh, came to the US and I basically, you know, did all the job, all jobs you can think of, like from painting houses to, you know, doing siding, doing the door at the bar, selling shoes at the, you know, department store. I even had my own little boutique, but Basically, I was kind of wondering, I was kind of looking for myself for these years. And I had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. This first decade was just me kind of like growing up and I guess trying to make up for that part of, I guess, fun that I was supposed to have while fighting the war instead. So um, it was just kind of a period of me looking for what I want to be when I grew up. Mm -hmm. Did you feel uncomfortable during that time? Did you feel lost? No, no, I had a blast. <laughs> no. I mean, maybe other people did. Maybe, you know, like when I would see some Bosnians, like, Dean, you know, what are you doing? What are you going to do with your life and career? I'm like, man, I'm having fun. I'm having blast. Like, you know, why don't you go to school? And I'm like, because I don't want to, right? So, mm -hmm. um, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't. I just, you know, in the US, like, you know, you can get a job and it's one of the great things, you know. I mean, now the things are, LA is not a good example of it. Like, You can get a job and then you have to have eight roommates and you can afford a car, right? But yep. when I lived in Seattle, you know, I worked at Nordstrom's during the day. And then, you know, I did a door at the bar in the night, couple nights. I was loaded. Like, I didn't know what to do with money. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because if Seattle wasn't expensive then, you know, our rent was not that cheap. And, you know, you have your cheap car and we were partying. We were going out every night. I'm like, how did we do it now that I remember How did I literally go out every night and through, you know, whatever amount of dollars? Um, I have no idea. But, you know, we took care of each other, you know, the bartenders. And then we would go see baseball games. We know the guy that, you know, works for Seattle Mariners. So he would hook us up with amazing seats for free. Then we would take care of him in the bar. And, you know, you're like, it was just hookups. And, you know, I met some amazing, amazing people in Seattle. I still am in touch with very many of them. And Seattle has a special place. In my well, you're great sure. at creating those connections. That much I do know about you. You're the the most incredible networker. Well, I stay in touch. It's as simple as that. You just stay in touch and you try to do your best to, you know, just be good to people. And if you make mistakes and sometimes are asshole, which I know I've been more than once to more than <laughs> one person, you know, you're, you know, you, you should definitely own it. And I, I'm, you know, for whoever's listening to it that I, you know, if I was asshole too, I'm sorry. It was nothing personal. I was probably in a bad place myself. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great thing to know that you can do that. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, like nobody's, you know. Yeah. I went through a lot of changes, and you know, and recently, and too, and you know, I, you know, ego is is ego is the enemy, but it can be also a healthy thing 
you know, when it comes to what you're doing and when it comes to your confidence at work and you know your achievements and you know i mean it's 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 a fine line between being egomaniac and be or being good at really good at something you know that you do so the you know i i feel life is an ongoing search right. for that balance so i guess it's also a process 100% 100% you 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 just nailed it everything has its time and place and it's, when i look it's back part now of growth. Absolutely, hundred percent, and I'm open to keep doing it for the rest of my life. I, I, I know I will never be complete, and I'm fine with it. Like, or I'm not looking for to be completed. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm just looking to enjoy my life and be better at it every day. That's it. I love hearing that because I, I personally struggle with it a little bit because I've always had this. Oh my God! I even recently I talked to my grandmother, and that was such a punch in the gut. She was like. Oh my God, I just wish you had an easier life. You had so much promise when you were younger. And oh like, my God. I know. <laughs> Who says that? Who says that? My grandma. <laughs> talk about level of unawareness. She's, she's definitely unconscious. You, you can't. Like, you know, it's the same thing. Like when I say to my mom, I went through like, you know, major weight loss. And I would love if my mom was just like, hey man, high five. Good job. Great. She's like, Oh, that's good, but it can be better. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, I just dropped like 40 pounds in fucking two months, mom. Like, I cried <laughs> on those Culver City stairs daily, and I hated it. I eat grass. You know what I'm saying? I don't drink. Like, I, my life is miserable, and I just dropped, you know, like 30 pounds. Let's not exaggerate it, but literally in a few months. And Yeah. She's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, you can. That, that's good, but you can do better. I'm like, holy shit, mom. Jesus. <laughs> I think it's the Eastern, well, it's the Eastern European thing. It's like, you can, it is. You can always do better. It's yeah, never it's enough. never enough. And yeah. it can be good because it can be motivating yeah. and they have high expectations of us. But I'll tell you one thing. Most of those expectations come from them not achieving their dreams or their hopes. So yes. it's a reflection. It has nothing to do with you. It's literally reflections of what they feel they missed out. What they don't know is that they didn't miss out on anything. Everything happened for them exactly how it's supposed to. And that's beauty of life. Once you take that for a fact, and once you're in peace with the fact that life gives you exactly what you need at a time, it's up to you how you're going to handle it. More you fight with it, more you struggle and create stress, more, more you're going to suffer. But once you let go, life will give you everything. All those things that you probably even wished before, it's going to give it to you on a silver platter. That's, I, I swear, that's the... That's how it works. It took me forever to figure it out, but that's why I don't sweat anything right now. I mean, I literally like... I'm still not there. It's not an easy place to get to. Is there a recipe? Do you have a recipe? How do you get there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the plant medicine. That's That would be a good start. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll leave that at that for now. Yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> I'll well, look it up. Uh, look it up and you're going to be okay. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in on Thursday for part two of the conversation where we talk more about photography and life. Find Dean on Instagram and buy a print of his photo on his website. The links are in the show notes. And let us know what you think about the podcast. Shoot us a message. All the contact info and links are in the show notes and on our website. Join our rooms on Clubhouse every Tuesday morning and Thursday evening. If you need an invite, DM me on Instagram. I might have some. 
Also, subscribe to our newsletter to get all the links to our rooms so that you can put them in your calendar and never miss an event. And don't forget to share the show with a friend. I don't know, someone who's into the history of wars or someone who came to the U.S. from a former Yugoslav country or someone who's still looking for their place in life. I don't know, just click share and text them a link. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Keep staying safe. Love you all. Peace. Country, you can keep the rest. This is my country, my damn country, and it don't mean a thing.